What is the point of the church? Have you ever been asked that question? Anybody? Just raise a hand. Surely somebody's asked you. I think for many of us, uh, we've encountered that question where people say, what's the point of the church? Or indeed, why should you even go to church? Um, I, I saw somebody I know on, um, on a social media site posted that um, uh, you, can, you don't have to be a Christian. Um, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And um, have, you, have you ever had someone say that to you? Um, yeah, you can be a Christian without going to church. And um, I don't, you know, it's a really bad idea, isn't it, to engage in a conversation about these things on social media. Like, never do it. But I was just, I think it was last Sunday, um, and, and I, I bit my tongue and I sat on my hands, and, I, and I, I, in the end I decided, I do want to say something to this. And so I replied and I said, that's absolutely true. Uh, you don't have to go to church. Um, but as the preacher, it is kind of nice when people show up with a smiley face emoji. Um, I thought that would be okay. And I, and I got a reply back saying, you know, fair enough, David. Um, but the question is, what is the change in the people's lives who came to church? And how do we see that in the world. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a hypocrite. People accuse Christians of being hypocrites, and I think sometimes we just have to own it. We are not perfect, and we are not claiming to be perfect. And the world sometimes thinks that if you go to church, you must think you're a goody two-shoes. You must think that you're above everybody else. And the reality is, for anyone that's been in a church, we know that that is not the case. We're broken people who acknowledge our brokenness and that's why we're here. We're not perfect people who want to celebrate our perfection because there is nobody other than Jesus Christ who was perfect. We're broken people. And so we gather in community as the church, as a bunch of broken people who are weird and strange and messed up and hypocrites. I'm speaking for myself. Maybe you identify with one of those words too. We're not perfect. And somehow through time, the perception has been that Christians think they're perfect, that people go to church, and they think somehow they're above everybody else. So what is the purpose of the church? We had that wonderful reading from Acts, uh, which comes just after the Pentecost reading, um, and then Peter preached after that and, and tried to explain uh, to people um, about the Christian faith. And then we see this reminder that they were gathering together, and they were saying prayers, and they were, uh, they were learning scriptures, they were breaking bread together. Uh, and so I just want to spend some time today, um, I couldn't think of a title, um, and so I chatted with some folks, and the, the title Church 101 came up, um, and uh, so it might be that you don't need to hear anything that I say today for you, um, and so I just want to give you permission to ignore all of this for yourself, on the condition that you listen with the ears of the person who you will talk to sometime this week who says to you, what's the point of the church anyway? And you can say, ah, is that a deal? 
You don't have to listen for yourself, but listen for the people who you might share this with. Actually, that's a good tactic for any sermon you hear. There will be things that are said in any sermon that we already know, and sometimes they're things we needed to hear afresh, sometimes they're things we've forgotten, sometimes there'll be things that are new, but always we can try and listen with the ears of the other person who we will share with. So um, I'm going to today talk about um, uh, the purpose of church, and that will be a bit specific to here at St. George's. That's because we're here at St. George's, and I'm here at St. George's, and it makes the most sense to talk about how we have said that is to look here. Church looks different in different places in different ways, um, but this is how, how we're, we're seeing it here. So uh, you'll know, uh, because it was in our annual report, and I'm just reading a bit of this this morning, um, page five, we have a vision and values page, and at the top it says, we believe that Jesus Christ offers eternal life that begins now. We believe that Jesus Christ offers eternal life that begins now. What do we mean by that? Well, the shorthand is John 3.16, John 10.10. So John 10.10 is Jesus saying, I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness or life in all its abundance. And so that's what it means, the eternal life begins now. If we thought that the Christian faith was about eternal salvation but had no bearing in the present, then there would be no point in us gathering now because it wouldn't matter. But we're here because we think to varying degrees that it does matter. That we work out what it means to be church, to be the, um, the body of Christ here on earth now, today. Eternal life in Jesus, that begins now. That's what we believe. And so as a church, we've said that believing that, and with that imperative coming from the Gospel of John, that we are here to live and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now really, I think any church... Uh, should have as its purpose living and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And there have been committees, and some of you have sat through them, in many churches, in many denominations that are trying to work out, what is the purpose of our church? What is our mission statement? What is our vision statement? But essentially, it's Matthew 28. Uh, As you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Discipleship and evangelism. That is the purpose of the church. That is how Christ ordained us. We're to make disciples going deeper in faith, and we're to share faith. We're to evangelize, to tell other people. We have good news that is worth sharing. So that essentially is what the church is about. Discipleship and evangelism, if you want the churchy words, But because some people don't like churchy words, because uh, either they don't understand them or they have baggage that have have come with how those words have been used through history, uh, the way we put it at St. George's is living and sharing the good news. Living and sharing in that order because you can't share good news that you don't believe for yourself. So the first thing we're to do is to be disciples. So we then say, uh, knowing that Jesus Christ offers eternal life that begins now, that as the church we exist to live and share that good news, to live it, to dwell in the good news, to share it, to show and tell and live it out for others to see. So we have six things we say we value. 
And those six things roll around at the start of the service. If you're here early enough and feel like not talking to anyone, come into church a few minutes early. Watch the thing going around. If you're online, uh, you, you'll see this. Uh, we, we put it on just as the music's there so um, before the service starts. There are many things uh, you could narrow this down to or add in. But at its core, we have said at St. George's there are six things. The first one is the Bible. The Bible as God's word. And as we approach the Bible and as I preach, um, today I'm not preaching an exegetical sermon. I'm preaching based on, on our vision and values. Um, and, uh, but as I, as I preach and we look at the Bible, um, the approach that I like to bring to the Bible is to say, uh, what does it mean for us? Why was it written? What does it mean for us? How do we live in the light of this? And so we take everything that's going on in the world and we look at the Bible and we say, what can that, how do we interpret what's happening in the world in the light of the Bible? We don't change what the Bible says to fit in with the world, to be fashionable, to follow the culture, to follow the trends. Church is not meant to be fashionable and follow the culture and follow the trends. We're meant to be rooted in God's word because that's what he gave us. He gave us the scriptures that have stood the test of time. And so it may feel like it's stating the obvious that we value the Bible, uh, but I don't think that's true everywhere. And so I think it's good to state the obvious sometimes. Second thing, worship. We value worship and worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you've probably heard the phrase worship in spirit and in truth many times. Um, comes from John's gospel. Um, there will come a time when true worshipers will, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Um, well, in truth is the Bible. In truth is the, the truth of God's word. And in spirit means um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's been said, and you've probably heard this before because I often quote it, if you have all word and no spirit, then you dry up. And if you have all spirit and no word, you blow up. In other words, we can't spend our whole time uh, having fantastic charismatic raves up with our hands in the air, enjoying the power of the spirit, and then not get into what the word says. Neither do we spend all our time doing an exegesis of scripture without saying, what's the Spirit saying to us today? Somehow, we're to worship with that balance of spirit and truth. The Bible worship, thirdly, prayer. Um, we, as we were writing these down about three years ago, uh, we said, um, you know, we, we were talking a lot about prayer. Um, and that's partly how we came to, to put these things down, uh, was to say, how can we really value prayer um, in the life of our church? How can we put it into practice? Because it's all very well um, having a value, but you have to put it into practice, otherwise it's not really a value. Uh, and so um, how do we put prayer into practice? Um, we can encourage people to pray on their own, which we do. But we find that as a church, there are particular ways we can draw people together in prayer. And so one of the things that started was morning prayer. And it started in, in the chapel with two or three people on certain days of the week would get together and pray. 
um, and they'd use the Anglican morning prayer. Um, and if you know anything about um, Anglican history, uh, you know this already. Thomas Cranmer put together the Book of Common Prayer um, in um, 1662, is, is the one that, that lasted for a long time, although there were previous iterations. But in the 1662 prayer book, Cranmer said, uh, every parish should have uh, morning and evening prayer available every day. And the reality is that most of them don't. Because we've gone to this world where we say, well, we can pray anywhere. Why do we need to pray in church? But I think Cranman knew a truth that if we're honest, we know too, and I know I know. It is really hard to pray on your own. Now, some people are fantastic, and we know them, and maybe you're one of them, who can go and can sit and can pray for hours on end. They're the people who, when you have something to pray for, you go to them and say, can you pray for me? Because you know they actually will. But for many people, it's really hard. Life gets in the way. We get distracted. Now we have uh, emails pinging at us and phones pinging and all those things, all those different distractions. And so there is something about this ancient practice of getting together as the church to pray that we find valuable. And so that's why we keep talking about it all the time, because we know, too, the way society has um, changed and evolved. Lots of stuff happens on Sundays. Some people are working. Other people have sports things they're at. And so we say, you know what? Come on a weekday. If you're working on Sunday and you have a day off on Wednesday, come on Wednesday at 9 o'clock and pray then. We wanted to make prayer integral to our corporate and um, personal life. That's one of the things we said. And there's something about gathering together and doing that. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is living and at work today. Now, if you know anything about the colors behind me, you'll know that these are the colors for Pentecost. Uh, the red, um, and then the, we've got these wonderful flames, um, the flames of the Spirit coming. And as we... As we see these colors here, uh, what you may also know is that they're not meant to be here. The Pentecost colors in the tradition of the Anglican Church stay up for one Sunday and one Sunday only, which is Pentecost Sunday. And then we go into ordinary time on Trinity Sunday, and we should be green. Um, but we made the decision a while ago, partly because we really love the red and the flames, uh, we made the decision to say, you know what? Let's keep the Pentecost season going. Let's keep the visual reminder that we're only here by God's grace and that we need the power and the grace and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. So we believe the Holy Spirit is living and at work today. And how do we live this out? Well, there's a, a visual example that we have, and we'll keep this up until sometime in the fall, and somebody will come to me and say, David, do you think it's time we changed it? And I'll go, yeah, okay, I suppose we should, because we are meant to be green. Um, so we'll do it. The Holy Spirit living and at work today. You know, there are so many churches where um, the time isn't given for the Spirit to work. What do I mean by that? Uh, we use liturgy um, as Anglicans. Um, every church has some kind of a liturgy. Um, churches that say they don't have a liturgy still do because liturgy, liturgy is, um, as you've probably heard said before, comes from a Greek word, liturgy, which means pattern for worship. And so uh, you could go to um, 
any kind of a church, and they will have a pattern for worship. Um, I remember having a conversation with a friend a number of years ago um, who always started their prayers like this, Lord, we really just want to. And they would get annoyed when I started a prayer with, with something that sounded Anglican. And I'd say, but you always start your prayer with the same sentence too. That's your liturgy, and that's fine. Um, but the words we use to lead us in worship, the words that can be written in our heart, are the ones that become the springboard from which uh, we can step into prayer. And so I think that liturgy can open us up into a place where we can have space for the Holy Spirit. And that's something um, we used to spend a lot more time before COVID, uh, times of quiet, times of space in the church, uh, when we would, in our services, wait to see um, what the Spirit might be saying to us today. And that's an important thing to do as we gather. The last two, discipleship and evangelism, I kind of mentioned at the start, and so I'll, I'll come back to them now, but we said that the other two things that we value is discipleship, living the good news, and growing deeper in our faith. And actually, the parish council has said that for the next, um, for, for this year, really to have a focus on discipleship, and we're trying to think about new ways so that we can be a community of disciples who disciple disciples. How many times can you say disciple in a sentence? I think three's the limit. Uh, but disciples who disciple disciples. Uh, a disciple, a follower, someone who follows Jesus. And we want to grow in the likeness of Christ. We want to be more like Jesus. And the reality is we need to do that together. It's kind of, I think, church and discipleship is a bit like maybe going to a gym. Uh, you know, you can have the membership card but unless you go and do the workout, you're not going to get the, the strength gains that you're looking for. You're not going to lose that bit of weight if you're doing your cardio, if you do not get on the bicycle. And I think sometimes uh, uh, it can happen in the life of the church that we can, we can feel happy that we're connected to the church, but we're not necessarily going deeper. There are hundreds of people in this city who come to St. George's. Hundreds of them. I still meet people who come to St. George's. And when I tell them I'm the rector, they say, well, no, I haven't, I must have come the week you were away. Um, we, this is true. We have a long history of people who are connected to our church and who don't come and worship. Um, I was challenged at the first service that I didn't use any railway stories in my sermon, um, and uh, so uh, I'm still not going to today. I'm going to talk about buses instead, because did you know there's a bus that runs along this street? It's called the 701, and I don't know how many of you use the bus, um, but I think that for many, the church becomes like a bus. We are super grateful that that 701 is there. We're super grateful because they're going to salt the road first, when it snows, to make sure the bus can get through. We're super grateful that the 701 runs along there because if our car breaks down and we haven't got anyone else to ask for a lift, we can go and get the 701 bus. We're super grateful that the 701 bus is there. But the majority of us do not use the bus. 
myself included. We don't use it. But can I tell you what would happen in the Maple Ridge News if TransLink decided the ridership numbers were so low they were going to cut the 701 bus and Maple Ridge was no longer connected by transit? There would be a, the biggest public outcry that you've ever heard of, wouldn't there? Because we want our bus service. We want to be connected. We want to know that it's there. We want to know that people can use it. But, you know, to be honest, we don't really want to use it ourselves because some of the people on that bus are weird. Some of them talk out loud when you get on. Some of them smell. Some of them have mountains of luggage and delay everyone else. Some of them sit and put their bags on the seat so you can't sit with them. Sometimes I think we can fall into the trap of letting church become like the 701 bus. We'd miss it if it was closed. We're grateful that it's here. Um, there's a, a, a thing in England um, called Say One For Me. And people don't tend to say that to me here, but often um, in, in England, when I'd walk along with a clerical collar on, uh, someone would say, say one for me. Um, or if, if, you were, if you were kneeling down on the floor for something, um, someone would say, while you're down there, say one for me, meaning a prayer. And actually, that word vicar, which is a different word for rector in the Anglican church, it means, uh, it's, it's connected to the word vicarious, as in, um, you can pray, so I don't need to. It's no good if our discipleship is all based on one or two other people. That doesn't help us in our relationship with Jesus. And as hard as it is, and sometimes as boring as it is, it's the regular, ongoing workouts, the spiritual workouts, that coming to worship, or coming to morning prayer, or reading our Bible, or saying the Lord's Prayer at dinner time because we forgot to say it any other time in the day, those are the things that help us as disciples to keep faith front and center. We're called to be disciples. And the last one is evangelism. We're called to go and share the good news of Jesus. On our front lines, on those places where we go, we've used the word front line before um, it became used in the COVID pandemic to say that if you were to look, um, we had a map at the front at one point, and said if you were to look across the lower mainland on a Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, and you looked at where everyone who is in our church on a Sunday um, was going to be, we put them all on the map, and we said, these are the places, these are, the, these are our front lines of ministry in our businesses, in our schools, uh, in our community groups, looking after family, in the hospital, um, wherever it may be, in the workplace, uh, at home, the front lines of ministry that God sends us out to. And we're to go to all of those places. We're not meant to stay in the church. So as much as we're, it's important to gather in the church, we're not meant to stay here. We're meant to go out and take what we learn and take into the world. 
And I often say that um, I think the best evangelists that I've encountered in Canada, the absolute best evangelists, some of you know what I'm going to say. Anyone want to shout it out? Who are the best evangelists in Canada? No one's there. People that are members of Costco. People that are members of Costco. They are the best evangelists for Costco. And I remember coming to Canada and just being struck with, with uh, how um, many people could, could tell me with so much enthusiasm exactly why I should join Costco. Uh, and, and to the point that I did. Um, and then I, I decided to let the membership lapse because I found I was buying things I didn't really need in quantities I didn't want. Um, and neither did my wife. So, why did you buy 12 of these? Well, they came in a 12-pack. So... That, that ended that one. But I was always struck by how, if somebody loves something, how they want to share that with others. So if we believe that Jesus Christ offers us eternal life that begins now, as the church, we not only need to live that out for ourselves, but we need to share it with other people. Because we want those hundreds who claim to be part of our church to be with us on Sunday. And I've been thinking a lot, as some of, as some of you have, I, I will come into land. I realize that I've talked more than I normally do this morning. Um, but as you can imagine, I have quite a lot to say on the subject of the church. Um, and uh, we've been thinking about this a lot with COVID. And um, we've got so many people who are watching at home. And the question was asked at Parish Council, should we turn the live stream off? Because is it stopping people from coming to worship in person? And my sense was No. I think that the majority of people watching the live stream would not be here in person. Um, I think that probably they're people that can't get out of the house or they're not comfortable because of COVID or they're away or there's some other reason. And so I would say um, the thing that matters about being here in person is community. The thing that matters is community. Because, you know, on the occasions when I do get on the bus and the person I wasn't expecting to talks to me, because I, I do actually take the bus now and again, um, and the person gets on and starts talking, you realize that the, the shared humanity that we have, that I don't have when I'm driving my car. There is very little shared humanity when I'm driving my car. I'm there in my little bubble with my family. Maybe I'll wave at somebody, but normally we don't even do that. And yet, when you're on the bus with other people, all journeying in the same direction, uh, it, it's a very different feeling. And there's a sense of seeing that not everybody looks like me. Not everybody sounds like me. I mean, most people don't sound like me, thankfully. Um, but most people, they don't look like me, they don't sound like me, they're not wearing the same clothes. We, we're all different sitting on that bus. And there's something about that I think is, is really, really um, good. And we've said that before. I think Roxanne said this a couple of weeks ago. She got you to look around and look at the people who are around you and said there's nothing else we have in common in many cases other than we love Jesus and we're here together as community. And I think that's the thing that you cannot get online. You cannot truly get the community that you get in person in church so do I think that the church is dead in person? No, I don't. I think there's something about 
gathering as community, as they did back in the beginning in Acts, they gathered together. And I think we need to keep doing it. And I think we need to keep encouraging others to come and join us. And I think we need to hang out over coffee and see how we're doing. We need to wrestle with theology. We need to wrestle with the Bible. We need to share our frustrations. We need to be able to say at the end of the service, you know, I didn't really want to come today, but I'm glad I did. Or, I really wanted to come today, I thought church was going to be great, but we didn't sing my favorite song. The preacher went on too long, it wasn't that good. And then someone else will say to you, you know, it's like that some weeks. And that's how we grow as a community of grace, as a community that learns to care for each other. Because you know what? If we can learn to care for each other as the church inside the building, imagine what difference all of us can make when we go into the community. Thank goodness there are people in church who irritate you because you get the chance to practice in a safe space how to be gracious to them so that on Monday at 10, when you're in the office and your coworker irritates you, you can respond with grace and love. If we were all the same, would that not be tedious? Okay. Um, I did used to preach for half an hour, and I think I'm getting there now, so I'm going to stop. We believe Jesus offers eternal life that begins now. And so we are here to live and share the good news of Jesus. We have got coffee after the service, and I'd love it if you could hang around and chat with other people. There's a lot of stuff here. What do you think of it? What do you think the purpose of the church is? Which ones of these six things, Bible, worship, prayer, Holy Spirit, discipleship, and evangelism, which one of these do you find the hardest? Which one just gives you joy? Lots of things we could talk about. Let's pray, and then um, we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this place. We thank you for the history of St. George's in the last 92 years, as people have faithfully opened the Bible, gathered in worship, prayed, encountered the Spirit, learnt about you as disciples, and shared your good news. Lord, would you help us to take up the baton in this relay race that we may keep on running the race and keeping the faith alive in St. George's so that we can take it into our communities. In Jesus' name, amen.